Hi, founders. Welcome back to another episode of The Gab Lab, a show that's designed to bring you financial intelligence that won't only just blow your mind, it will build your bottom line. Today's episode, our good friends at Community Futures Manitoba, 16 offices across the province to help founders not only build their business, but to help them nail their numbers. I'm your show host, Tanya Woods-Richardson, and today's guest is Nail the Numbers Pro, Shauna Frederick. She's the founder of Frederick CFO On The Go, OTG. She's also the co-founder of The Finance Cafe, an online forum for women entrepreneurs to help them nail their numbers. Now, today's episode is all about understanding financial statements, the fundamentals of these statements and how they actually, when we pull them together properly and when we're measuring and monitoring them properly, they increase the value of the business. So please don't go away. We'll see you in the lab with Shauna. See you soon. Welcome to the Gab Lab, Shauna. I'm so happy to have you here today. Well, thank you, Tanya. I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled to talk about something that I'm so passionate about. Not everybody is as passionate about numbers as I'm sure we are, but excited for the conversation. Oh, beautiful. Well, I hope some of that passion rubs off because you're absolutely right. This is why we do the show. Uh, and today I am really excited to kind of take the conversations we've been having in the last several episodes that the framework for our show is always about profitability. It's always about getting business owners to understand the importance of profiting in business, not at the compromise of people, planet, purpose. We're not suggesting that, but profit is what makes a healthy business. And I am, um, this whole episode is really about the un, uh, understanding the fundamentals of our financial statements. But where I see there being a huge correlation here is the first topic that we're going to dive into uh, today is the balance sheet. And the balance sheet to me is kind of like the net worth of, you know, what your business is valued at, hence why we want to profit. So I'm really excited to, to dig into this. So if you're okay, starting with the balance sheet, maybe you can just explain to, to the founders and to the audience exactly what the balance sheet is and the intention of the balance sheet and kind of give us a rundown on that. That's great. It's a great starting point because it's often the first statement that shows up on your financial package. I want to step back though, because most people think that financial statements are either boring <laughs> or look at them like they're written in a different language. But financial statements are so much more than numbers on a page. They can tell you the story of your business, what's happened in the past, and more importantly, we can learn and grow to our successful business that we're looking for. So you nailed it 100%. We look at our balance sheet as our the net worth of our company. So we think about our personal net worth. We take our assets, everything that we own, our house, our investments, et cetera, and we subtract our liabilities, everything that we owe. So if we have a mortgage on that house, a, you know, a car payment, whatever that looks like, and the net result of that is our net worth. In our company, the balance sheet is showing us the same thing. It's showing us the true net worth, what our company would be worth if we sold all of our assets, paid off all of our liabilities, that would be the cash left available to pay back to our shareholders. Go ahead. So I, I'm, I'm curious though, because with a balance sheet, uh, here's the thing that always gets me with the balance sheet. Yep. I know the balance sheet is designed to actually balance at the end, 
But what you mentioned here is that we have a leftover and typically with the balance sheet, we never see the leftover. It's just, it's, it zeroes out at the end. So um, can you explain that a little bit, why that happens? You bet. So you, you're exactly right. It balances and there's a balancing formula. So that leftover piece is what we call retained or is our shareholders equity or retained earnings, right? So we take, so it's the formula because accountants love when things balance. So we, the formula on our balance sheet is assets equals liabilities plus shareholders equity or shareholders equity equals assets minus liabilities. So when I say we take all of our assets, pay off all of our liabilities, what's left is our shareholders equity, the amount that can be paid out to the shareholders. Okay, so maybe to simplify that, uh, if we take a look at, a, and I know a, a house is a really simple um, formula, but if we take that house and we understand that we have put down let's just say it's a $500,000 house. We put down 25,000 or let's just say $50,000, right? And yeah. maybe, you, maybe you do the math for me because okay. I'm going to stumble through that and it's all very clear for you. No, I like using really easy numbers. So if we take a 500, your $500,000 house, say we've paid off $250,000 throughout the years. So the 500, our asset, less our 250 that we still owe to the bank, $250,000 is what's left. It's the net worth in our house. It's what we've invested into that house. Does that, does that okay. clarify it? Um, I believe so. So it's, that's where we balance out. And then we also have, and I believe this translates in business as well, is that over that period that we have been paying the mortgage, minus the taxes and the interest rates, but as okay. we've been paying into the equity of the house, the house is also appreciated in value, right? As businesses are also appreciating in value. Do I have that right? Which is the asset piece that you're talking about? You 100% do. And that's why it's key when we look at the net worth of our balance sheet, that's what it's worth on paper. It's not often that we increase the value of our assets based on their true net worth. So when business owners, when they're looking at their, their company, Everyone thinks they have a million or two or a $10 million company, but truly the value of your company is what somebody's willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. But when we're looking at our balance sheet, it has to be our starting point of, okay, on paper, this is what our company is worth, right? So it's not necessarily always increasing the value. So say we have, we have our company, say we own an investment in, 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 you know, another company, we don't necessarily increase the value just because of the rules around the accounting gods. But you bring up a good point when we talk about often balance sheets will show something called goodwill. What the heck is goodwill? So when we think about investments in a company, if we were to buy another company, there's often an, an increased value of that company. And that's where it comes into goodwill on our balance sheet. So an overly complex item that I don't want to, I don't want to dig into too much here because I don't want to overshadow the importance of, okay, this is what our balance sheet is really showing us. But just thinking of the net worth is what it's worth on paper. We know okay. that when we go to sell something, there is always going to be what somebody, what a third party is willing to pay for our company, because there are things like goodwill invested in our company. So we have our customer lists. When we go to sell our company, if we have a good solid customer base, there's an added value to a third party in that. If we have, you know, machinery or equipment or patents, 
those particular items also have an increased value to a third party. So things like that will increase the value when it comes time to sell. But when we're looking strictly at our balance sheet on paper, it's the value on paper. Interesting. Okay. So uh, I have two questions. The first question on that is, would it be uh, would it be normal? What I'm hearing you say is that it is not normal to see goodwill on a balance sheet unless you're actually looking to sell or transfer the business over. You'd, you'd see goodwill if you've purchased another company. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, goodwill and also the other item, they're called intangible assets. So things like patents. So if you own okay. a patent, that would be on there. So no, from, from an from an accounting standpoint, you won't always see goodwill on financial statements unless you've purchased the, the goodwill, we'll call it, of another company. So say you purchased a company and with that you bought, you know, a customer base, that would be the goodwill that you're acquiring. Sorry, I'm kind of smiling on that because I know there's uh, there's there's several founders that are going to be watching this that are like, uh-oh, because on their annual financial statements, they've just, they've been showing goodwill year after year to submit to CRA. So that, that should be interesting. That's a, that's an interesting nugget. It is Tanya, but we have to, we have to remember where that goodwill came from. And the key thing when we look at our balance sheet, right? So it's a listing of our assets, what we own. So when we think about those assets of what we own, if we were going to go and sell it, is there something that we could sell? right? So we have cash easily liquidatable. We have accounts receivable, easily collected from our customers. When it comes to goodwill, we have to look at how is that goodwill generated? And if we were to sell it, how do we sell it? Right? Is there things, I mean, when we, when we look at it in comparison to, you know, even inventory, right? Another asset easily, I have a, I have a product, a widget, I can easily sell that. Um, if we look at our capital assets, so capital assets are things like vehicles, land, building, again, tangible items that we can take and sell that item, right? When we talk about goodwill and intangible assets, they're not as easy to say, oh, here, I have this item, I can sell it to you. So it always goes back to how is that goodwill created and how do we then sell it to a third party? Beautiful. Okay. So I'm hearing a couple really important things there to just drill home for founders listening. Great. If you're seeing goodwill on your balance sheet, and unfortunately, I think you probably see this all the time, Shauna, but, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of founders are looking at their statements four years or four months after year end, right? And they're, you know, what is this? What is this? But um, so if you're looking at goodwill, and we'll talk about how often to look at your balance sheet, but if you see that coming up there, uh, to ask the questions, right? What does this include? Give me a breakdown so that the founder is aware of it. If you haven't built your own balance sheet, if you're turning to an accountant or a bookkeeper to do that. Yes. Okay. And then the other piece to, to just hammer home for people On the asset side, you mentioned there's uh, cash, there's your accounts receivable. Just on that note, when is it stale? When does it kind of go into bad debt? Is that just at the end of the year? Like, are you showing 120 day, 100 and, or do you just whatever still received into the business? Important to be looking at. So let's just talk about our assets for a minute. So we have cash, inventory, accounts receivable, fixed assets. And I just want to, I want to nail home the piece of the difference between current assets and long-term assets before we get into that stale piece. The importance of separating your current and long-term assets for a a couple of reasons. 
A, once we separate them, we can easily tell how liquid our company is. So how easily we can convert those current assets like cash, inventory, and accounts receivable into cash to pay our bills. Key, key item all business owners need to know. Do I have enough liquid cash, liquid assets to pay my bills? And then we look at our long-term assets. So things like land, building, equipment, vehicles, those types of things. And the reason why we separate those two, one item, the current assets, can easily be liquidated into cash in less than one year, usually. And then we have our fixed assets, which you would normally hold on to for more than one year, things like equipment, land, uh, buildings. So back to your question on at what point does it become stale dated? Inventory and accounts receivable are two key current assets entrepreneurs should be looking at um, monthly, if not more often, if they're if they're coming into a cash crisis. So if they're not financially stable, they need to be monitoring these items. So things like accounts receivable, we sell, for the most part, entrepreneurs, founders sell items on credit. We normally give 30 day credit terms. Okay, so if you're not collecting that that cash in 30 days, that's cash out of your pocket, you're using money out of your pocket to finance your customer's purchase. Inventory, same thing. I've seen so many businesses get into trouble when it comes to inventory because they start buying either flavor of the month items or they get a good deal because they can purchase bulk for, for less money. But what happens is when you think of inventory, think of inventory as little dollar bills sitting on a shelf that you can't use until it's sold to a third party. So that are you, costing you, right? Sorry, Sean, to interrupt, but they're costing you because you usually bought that with a loan, right? So yes. Yeah. So not only right, not only are you paying a loan with potential interest, that's money that you can't physically use. So I often say, you know, we can see we see inventory collecting dust in a corner somewhere. Think of it as dollar bills collecting dust in a corner somewhere that you cannot use. Good call. Right? So Good it's call. monitoring yeah. those items to make sure that you are selling it, converting it so that it's cash back in your pocket. And when we sell on credit, same thing. Once those 30 days are up, you need to be calling those customers, right? Finding out what's happening. And it's starting even before that initial sale takes place. You're building a relationship with your customers. Founders don't want it to be in a transaction basis. They want to be in a relationship basis. Right? It's so much easier to call somebody who hasn't paid in 45 days if you have a good relationship. Mm -hmm. and, and oftentimes they'll call you and they'll say, you know what? I'm having some cash flow problems. Can we set, you know, I'll give you $5,000 for three months to pay off that bill. Will that work for you? Right. Having those conversations is so much easier if you have a relationship basis in, as opposed to a transactional basis. So important. It, it reminds me of, of episodes that we've done in the past, one with your, your colleague, Shannon Peston, that is uh, where we talk about it's so important to have the relationship with our lender. So if things aren't going according to our plan, we have that conversation. And so now I'm hearing you say the exact same because we're a lender to our clients. Right. Yes. And so encouraging them, reaching out to them to have the conversation with us, to let us right. know what that plan would look like and how we can piece it together, how we can alter the terms. So valuable. Thank you, Shauna, for that. 
Okay, um, so just on the other side, so we've talked about the one side of the balance sheet, which is the assets. We've talked about things to look for in terms of uh, ensuring that that value is as strong as it can be, the short term and then the long term, watching for those things. Um, can you talk a little bit about liabilities sound pretty self-explanatory? I imagine we still have the same category, short term, long term, but what, what do we need to be aware of on the liability side of things? You bet. So your liability is exactly what you talked about, right? So we have our current liabilities, which would normally be our supplier invoices, our accounts payable. So when we're founders are purchasing their supplies, they're normally purchasing on credit. And the same thing goes with our suppliers. Again, it's creating that relationship, right? So that we have a payment term set up with them, we're paying within terms. And where I see a lot of founders get into troubles is they want to, you know, prove their whether it's their worth or their credibility to their vendors so they're paying right away as soon as they get that invoice that cash mm -hmm. is going out the door but and and it's great but when we think about the other side if we're not collecting from our customer when we sell that product or service we're now paying out to our to our vendors so we're paying for that and then we're giving our customer 30 40 60 days to pay us so it becomes this lengthy amount of time that we're without cash and more importantly we've spent additional cash right. so important to have the relationship with your vendor but also if they're giving you a 30-day payment term take the 30-day payment term right they're, i mean they've given it to you for a reason because they believe you're credit worthy yeah. I mean, take it. And then we look at our, our loans. So those would be our long-term liabilities. So say we own a building on, on our asset side, we have a mortgage that goes along with it. And those are just, they're, they're separated um, under the long-term liability section with the 12 months that we owe in the first 12 months under the current section. And again, the importance of separating those two long-term and, and current portion is because we want to see if we sell our if we liquidate our current assets, we can pay our current bills and our current bills will be whatever we owe to our current suppliers, plus our 12 months owing on that mortgage or loan or, or whatever that, that financing structure looks like on your specific balance sheet. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, um, and obviously in the loan side too, can you talk a little bit about the shareholder loans? Because I know oftentimes, and maybe this is a loaded question, so let me know if it is. This might be a whole other episode. Sure. But when we see sometimes accountants, when the uh, when the owner hasn't necessarily been paid that fair market value or whatnot, or it continues to to inject cash. So sorry, I'm going into two different directions here. But sometimes I see the shareholder loan for founders start to increase, sometimes with an injection and sometimes with without one. So mm -hmm. maybe if you can explain that piece a little bit. Sure. So shareholder loans will often sit on the long-term liability side. And so often entrepreneurs are bootstrapping their, their, their startups, right? So they're injecting their cash into the company as opposed to going to external financing which is fine if you have the funding in order to do that. So all that means is you, you're lending your company money and when there's, when there's cash available, you can take that out. But for the most part, it sits under that long-term liability section. Um, a, if you have a secondary loan through a bank, the bank will often ask you to defer your payment. So your repayment of your loan that you've injected in advance of them, fair. And also it sits under long-term because again, when we look at that, 
do I have enough liquid assets to pay my current bills? We don't want to, we don't want to skew that data with money that we may or may not take out as founders for our own purpose. Okay. Oh, so important. And, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that you're sticking around for this. I've, I've kept you longer than anticipated for part one, but two more questions, if you'll allow me just on the balance sheet. One, uh, many founders uh, that I have worked with over the years have used personal credit cards to finance um, portions of their business to buy things. Would you see that as a shareholder loan? Or would you see if they get if they get disciplined and use one credit card for all their business exp- expenses, would you see that being a, a, an expense of the business and the business just repays the credit card? Or would you prefer to see founders that credit card being recognized as a shareholder loan on the balance sheet? So my first preference would be that we have a separate card for the business. <laughs> Right. So it's it's key. It's important that founders understand that their business finances need to be separate from their personal finances. That being said, the two are interconnected because our businesses often fund our personal finances. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we just we need to keep those separate so we're not we're not mixing things up. And you bring up a very interesting point that I've seen so often with founders. They will purchase something on their personal credit card but oftentimes it doesn't get reported in the business. So when we're using our personal cards, sometimes we forget or we're just busy. We don't end up putting that in our in our business. So we're missing out on a couple of things. One, if it's an asset, so if we buy some equipment, we're not accurately reflecting the net worth of our business. Um, another piece, we're not repaying ourselves for the for the item that we purchase, but you could be missing a deduction in your company, which will then decrease your taxes. So there's a whole gamut of reasons why you need to be able to keep those separated as opposed to commingling finances. Okay. And the last piece, Shauna, just in this part one on understanding the balance sheet. Sure. Oh, this is another loaded one, but amortization. Yeah, when we think about buying a vehicle, we record it as a long-term asset, a capital asset on our balance sheet. It doesn't immediately get expensed as a deduction on our income or our profit and loss statement, which we're, we're talking um, in our next segment. So what does that mean? Well, we now have, we have this asset, but we know that its value depreciates or reduces over time. So what happens in the accounting world is we take the value of that asset and we expense a portion of it every year on our income statement. So as opposed to expensing 100% of that vehicle the first year we buy it, we take it and we expense it over time. And again, when we think about our the value, our net worth of our balance sheet, we want to make sure that those fixed assets like our vehicles are sitting at a reasonable value. And more importantly, if we get rid of that asset, we need to let our accountants know. (laughs) So they know to take it off our books so that our companies aren't overstated. Perfect. Okay. Um, And thank you for for clarifying that because I think it's um, it's an important question to ask your accountant to ask a what sort of model that they've used for amortization, right? I know that sometimes the, the short term is, it looks good if you accelerate the amortization because you're paying less tax, but then in the long term, you're, I don't want to say depreciating the value, but you're definitely impacting the long-term value of the business because you're writing off the asset faster, right? So 
what I love about what you've said here, if it isn't clear for founders, because this is a loaded topic, I think we could do a whole episode just on amortization schedules. Um, ask your accountant what format they've used and what position that puts you in short term and then long term, because that's why we do these shows, right? Own the numbers. It's all about taking ownership of the decisions that you make. So don't abdicate, right? Just Absolutely. Okay. Can I add on to that, Tanya? Because I think it's important that, I mean, founders go into business because they have a passion or a solution to a problem and they're excited about taking it to market. They're often not accountants. They often ignore their financial statements, as you said, until four months after year end. So I really encourage founders to have that courage and that, that, um, just that ability to ask for help. So two favorite authors of mine, Adam Grant and Brene Brown, talk about confident humility. <laughs> so as founders, if, if you're not understanding what the financial statements are, are telling you, reach out for help. Your accountants are there. And if, and oftentimes as accountants, I've done it myself, we go through because it's, it's second nature to us, but you need to ask for clarification. Show me an example, help me understand this because I do not understand where this number is coming from. And I need your help in, in allowing me to understand that. So confident humility, have the courage to ask for help where needed. I so appreciate you bringing that up because this this is a topic that's cloaked in a lot of shame and secrecy and guilt. And um, I have often found, especially for founders, it's compacted because it's or compounded because they, you know, there's this expectation in society that as business owners, we're supposed to understand the numbers. Right. So it's, you know, what is what is already an issue across the country, across North America is now just you know, again, um, a, a, a deeper one, a, a deeper cut for a lot of founders, because there's this expectation. So thank you for that. Um, and I love that you've thrown in some authors here. And one author that comes to mind specifically on this balance sheet conversation is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Yes. Because, because he, he he's brilliant in talking about don't get stuck. Yes, we have to do a cash flow. And I love cash flow. And I love planning. But the, the balance sheet is what is increasing the value of your business. If we focus on increasing our, our value of the business in, and now I'm getting into behavioral finance, so sorry, everybody, but appreciating our value typically reflects in the value that we start to build in the business. And that's where we need to be focusing, right? Is, is you bet. So, and yeah, so our next segment, we'll talk about how we increase the value on our yes. balance sheet. Love it. Okay, well, thank you for for staying the course. This was uh, longer than expected, but so, uh, so much important information in there that I think there's a lot of aha moments happening for founders that are watching this. So thank you for being here. We're going to see you for part two, which we're going to get into the income statement. Founders, take a quick break, go grab, uh, go refresh your coffee, and then we'll see you back in the lab here for part two. See you soon. All right, founders, so hopefully you have topped up your coffee. We're here back in the Gab Lab with Shauna Frederick, and she is the founder of Frederick OTG, which is uh, CFO on the go. Is that right, Shauna? That's correct. That's correct. And she's also the co-founder of the Finance Cafe, which is an online forum for women entrepreneurs uh, to better understand their numbers and their money and their finances. So 
Welcome back. Thank you for being here again. And part two, sorry, my hair is driving me batty today, but um, part two is now we're going to get into the income statement. We're going to talk about the income statement and um, how that helps to overall, I guess, increase the value of the business or what we should be looking at to, to make sure that we're kind of focused on, on that piece. So where do you want to start on the income statement, Chana? Well, let's just start with what it is. Right. And I think there's there's a couple different terms out there for the income statement, one being income statement and the other being profit and loss statement. So I'm I'm terrible at interchanging these two. So if, when I'm talking about one, I'm talking about the other. So what is the income statement? So the income statement is really telling you the story of your company's profit. And it's looked at for a period of time. So when you think about our balance sheet, our balance sheet is showing us for at, at a point in time, your income statement is looking at a period of time, showing you your revenues, so what you've sold, and your expenses, what you've spent over that period of time. Often, most founders are looking at this as at their fiscal year end, four or five months later. I encourage you to look at that monthly. <laughs> Um, but it then it, it allows you to compare when you're looking at this monthly, it allows you to compare revenue and expenses over a period of time. And when we think about revenue, so we take revenue minus expenses equals your net income, often referred to as net profit. And this is the amount that you get to reinvest in your business that founders can reinvest in their business. So it's giving you a whole gamut of information. So important to see how much I can reinvest in my business, how much I'm spending, how much I'm making. Love it. Now, what do you mean by reinvest? That net ah, so that net profit. So when we, when founders are showing a net profit or net income on their income statement, that amount is added onto their shareholders equity section on their balance sheet. So that's how we grow the value, the net worth of our balance sheet. So if we remember talking about the net worth of our balance or the net worth of our company, sorry, on our balance sheet, when we have a net income, it increases the value of our company. When we have a net loss, when we're spending more than we're making, we're actually decreasing the value of our company. Sean, I have a question for you then. In, the, in your experience in, with the clients that you've been working with, I know this is a loaded question. I'm curious to know what you have been seeing from a net profit perspective. Is it, is it a deficit, a break-even, or are businesses typically healthy? Yeah, so Tanya, it is a it's a loaded question, and it truly varies by industry, by economic condition, and more importantly, how business owners are looking at their financial information. So, as a business owner, if you're taking your financial statements, your shoebox to your accountant at the end of your fiscal year, four or five months later, you're then looking at your financial statements and your income statement, and it's showing a net profit or a net loss. How does that help you right now? How does that help you move forward? So what I encourage all owners to do is on a monthly basis, have a look at their income statement. And what your income statement can show you is the different levels of profit because there are different levels of profit. If we start at the very top of our income statement, so founders can first of all look at net, or sorry, at gross profit. So your gross profit is taking, okay, here's what I sold less my direct cost so the cost actually attributed to making or selling that product and it tells you right away am i making a profit on my product or service 
Otherwise known as gross profit. As gross profit. If you're not making a profit on the product or service you're selling, there's no way that you'll be able to pay your, what I call operating or overhead costs. So the cost to keep the doors open and the lights on. Okay. So if we're not looking at that gross profit to say, am I charging enough for my product or service based on what it costs me? then I mean, you might as well move on. And then we go further down. So we have our gross profit and then we show all of your operating expenses. So your operating expenses, as I said, cost to keep the doors open and the lights on. Rent, utilities, office supplies, marketing, management salary. Yep. (laughs) Management salary, exactly right. So important that we factor that in there. And then what that shows you is your net operating profit. So this is the profit generated from, okay, I have my gross profit, then I take away all of my expenses. This is my operating profit, how much I now have to pay taxes and interest if you have any loans. Subtract those and then you end up with your net profit. Right, so each of those levels, layers of profit can show you different aspects of where am I spending money? Is my, you know, is my operating profit, if I want 20% to pay taxes and interest plus reinvest in the company, how can I work backwards to determine what my top line sales need to be? What do I need to make as a gross profit in order to make my, op, my net profit 20% to reinvest in my company? Brilliant. So what I'm taking away from that, what I, and what I think is important to, to, to hammer home for you here for everybody watching or listening, two things. One, um, you're talking about profit, right? Actually focusing in on the profit. So I think way too many founders actually really just measure the health of their business by their top line sales, right? What is my overall revenue? And they get so fixated on that where that doesn't speak to the overall long-term health and sustainability of the business. And this is why, you know, I've been on a soapbox for so long is because I, I believe there's this stigma out in society that it's this resistance to the P word, like, oh my God, profit is bad. Profit is, is capitalistic. Uh, profit is opportunistic, right? It's like a bad thing to have, but this is what ensures the health of the business. So I, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to hear you talking about understanding these different levels of profit. I see a lot of founders talk about when they talk about profit, they usually talk about gross profit. That tends to be a number that they know for for some reason. And, and it looks good, right? It's usually like, well, we're 45%, you know, gross profit. We're sitting well. You want to say something? I do, because although... Um, founders say, oh, my gross profit is 50, 45%, whatever that is. Many founders don't include all of the key expenses, the direct cost when they're calculating that gross profit, right? So when you think about if you're selling a service or a widget, it's making sure that you're including, okay, what is the cost to actually make or sell that? Are there any direct labor? Is there direct salaries that need to go into that in order to make sure that you are recovering on those direct salaries? So it's important that, yes, every founder should know what that gross profit number is, Mm -hmm. but making sure that it is including all of the direct cost so that you're calculating the true cost. Um, Things like freight and shipping, if you're bringing stuff, you're bringing goods in make sure you're including that foreign exchange is a little bit of a tough one but we want to make sure that we're still factoring that in to ensure again that okay the true cost of bringing this product or service to a sellable point 
all of those items need to be in there so that when you're looking at your 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 gross profit it is a true picture Fantastic. and i also want to touch on just one other item that you said many founders are looking at their their sales i'm making sales <laughs> why do i need to worry about anything else i've had this twice in my career where again four months after year end founder brings their books to the accounting firm i was working at this lady was so excited because she had secured a million dollar contract that year. She was absolutely stoked and couldn't wait to see, you know, the financial picture. And I had the very unpleasant job of telling her that she actually lost money that year. Mm. And so we have this founder who's so excited. Mm -hmm. And she finally said to me, she said, you know, my internal accountant was showing me the numbers on a monthly basis and it was showing a loss but I didn't believe and I didn't understand what the numbers were telling me. So I just, I, I, she turned a blind eye to it, right? So again, so important that you were not monitoring the success of our business by our revenues. We yeah. need to be understanding what our costs are, what the overall profitability is to make sure that we can make those business decisions. If something needs to change, we need to change in the moment, not six or seven months after a year end. I, I think that's so important. So thank you for reminding the audience about that. I, I know that oftentimes there's one uh, person that we interviewed, one, one Nail the Number Pro, um, Neil Jones, who was actually suggesting once a week, once a week that you're in the numbers, looking at the numbers with whatever questions you have, asking the accountant or your bookkeepers about these questions, um, because that's, to your point, that's when you can fix it. You can fix it when you're in the middle of it. You cannot fix it four months after year end. Even, you know, next month when you're looking at it at the end of the month, it's too late to fix it when you're in the middle of that. So, um, yeah. and so just to kind of wrap this part up, what I'd love to just get clarity on with the income statement, the income statement, other, I, I love that you talked about its other label, profit and loss, P&L report, right? Because that's where I think a lot of founders, it feels like there's 15 different statements because there's five different names for each one, but there's actually only three. Um, and those three, right, Sean, the balance sheet, the income statement, and the cash flow. There's only three right. different documents that go into statements. Right. But, so the income statement, though, is really just a, is a high level summary of all of your revenue in your cost of goods attached to that revenue, your expenses, and then you're going to get that net profit. So it's really just a, a quick sheet sheet really on exactly what's happening in the business, specifically that bottom line. I do have one question on revenue. Sure. And I guess it depends on each uh, accountant. When you're looking at the revenue that is on an income statement, let's say we're looking at it monthly, is that going to be revenue that is invoiced or is that going to be revenue that's received? Uh, such an important question. Revenue that is invoiced. Okay. And I'll touch on, on the reason, on the difference, some technical jargon, accrual versus cash accounting when we get into the cash flow statement, but so important when you are when you invoice a customer for that revenue and there's there's other things to factor in as well which we we won't get into but on the premise that when you invoice a customer for that product or service that's when it's recorded as revenue same goes with your expenses right it's not when you pay that expense it's when you actually incur that expense so you get an invoice from your supplier that's when it becomes um, a, an expense on your profit and loss 
Okay, brilliant. It, which and sorry, now I'm digging back into the balance sheet. But now okay. I can recall on the balance sheet on the liability side, there is this column for your or actually sorry, it's on your asset side, prepaid expenses, right? Yes. Where it's anything that you have prepaid is is on there because it's you've already taken care of it. It's not your liability. You bet. Sorry to jump. And I want to. That's okay because I want to jump back to something that you mentioned about. Um, was it Neil Jones? Yes. So talking about looking at your statements on a weekly basis. I agree with that to a degree, because what happens is when we as accountants start funneling all this information to founders, it gets so overwhelming. And then it can be ostrich syndrome, head in the sand. Okay. So what you as a founder want to do is you want to say, okay, here are my top three or my top five key areas that I want to look at and have your accountant or do it yourself, create a dashboard. So a dashboard of here's my key metrics that I want to look at every week, every quarter, every month, so that you can visually see just whether it's in a chart format or just some numbers on a, however you visually or however you, you're best at learning so that you can get that snapshot right away. And then you can drill into information because if you're just looking at this whole gamut, this big picture information, you can get so lost in the numbers where if it's just a snapshot of here's your gross profit trending over the last six months last Perfect. six weeks. Perfect. Right? And yes, in his defense, I do believe he did mention that as you're measuring. So yeah, we're not measuring every statement. I think he was speaking to specifically some of the cash flow issues yeah. and yeah, the, the KPIs or, or key metrics. So thank you for clarifying that because it's probably already overwhelming enough, right? With everything that we're talking about to now for me to suggest every week, let's do it. So uh, thank you for the clarification. All right, so that takes us to the end of part two, unless there's anything that I didn't touch on that you want to speak to with income statements, or have we really covered all the high level, because that's really what an income statement is, and then there's nitty gritty in the cash flow. I think just one piece of advice to founders, if you're selling more than one product or service, make sure that you're separating the revenue and your direct costs on there. So I think about a, a marketing or advertising agency. Oh, there's little angels coming out, <laughs> little angels. Can I ask a question? Are we doing that yes. on the income statement or are we doing that on the cash flow? Income statement. Income statement too. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because you want, so say you're running a marketing agency and you do website building and website hosting, right? Two very different items with very different costs. If you're not tracking the revenue and direct cost separate, you'll never know if you're making a profit on individual revenue streams. Yeah, I, I get it. You're, yeah, again, the angels came out there. I, I love that you mentioned that though, because typically I will recommend that in the cash flow, and I have not been suggesting that in the income statement. So I, um, I think that's extremely valuable. High level summary. All right, Shauna, thank you again. Uh, for all of this uh, sage advice on income statements. And just a shout out to our episode champion, Community Futures of Manitoba. Uh, again, just another phenomenal resource for founders listening in if they are in that province specifically. But again, Community Futures, there's offices across Canada and just a great resource for, um, for founders, for business owners um, in rural parts of their province uh, to help build their build their business and nail their numbers. So thank you, CF, for all that you do. And Shauna, thank you for being here for part two. We're going to come back for part three. So definitely go get a refresher for your coffee. Go clear your brain space uh, because we're going to get into cash flow. 
And this is where there definitely are some details that we want to go through. And, and uh, uh, Sean is the expert here. So I'm, I'm uh, really excited to dig into uh, to cash flow with Shauna in part three. We'll see you back here. Don't go too far, but get that copy refreshed and we'll see you in a bit. All right, founders, welcome back. We are back in the lab, the Gab Lab, with Shauna Frederick, who is the founder of Frederick uh, OTG, which is CFO on the go. She's also the co-founder of the Finance Cafe uh, with a, a, a good good friend and cherished colleague, uh, Shannon Peston, who's done another episode in the Gab Lab. And Shauna, I'm so excited to have you here well, for all of it, but part three, the cash flow. I'm a big fan of cash flow. I believe you are too. And um, arguably one of the most important statements and one of the most where we have a lot of control, which can influence the other, the other statements. So let's start as we did with the past two segments. What is the cash flow statement? What are we looking at? Okay. So first of all, I need to get some technical jargon out of the way because the cash flow statement doesn't make sense if we don't get this out of the way. So I apologize in advance to our founders, but it's important. We touched on it a little bit during the income statement profit and loss segment, but financial statements are shown on an accrual basis, not a cash basis. I'm going, okay, great. Shauna, what does that mean? <laughs> so <laughs> accrual basis means that you record revenue when earned and expenses when incurred, as opposed to the cash basis, which is when you record it, when you actually spend that cash or when cash is received. And so in, in usual business, we're not operating on a cash basis. So we don't sell our product at the door and somebody doesn't give us the cash in hand. We don't go to our suppliers and hand them the cash. Everything is usually done on credit basis, right? So this is why we have our cash flow statement, okay? So number one key item that all founders need to know, profit doesn't equal cash. I can't stress that enough. Profit doesn't equal cash. So when we think about just bringing this all together, our balance sheet. So our balance sheet is what our company owns and owes at a point in time. Our income statement is the profit earned for a specific period of time. Enter the cash flow statement. This is telling you the story of where you are receiving and spending the money, the actual cash, the actual flow of physical cash coming in and out of your company. You mentioned it, Tanya, the most important statement and the most ignored statement for mm. most founders. <laughs> Hurts my heart. It does. Not going to lie. So when we think about the cash flow statement, think of it as there, I mean, there's no other statement that's showing you how the actual cash is flowing in and out of your business. And so the importance of it is it can actually tell you where cash is being trapped inside your company. So as a business owner, I mean, how important is that to you to be able to say, okay, there's this bucket of cash here that I need to unlock. How do I know that? By looking at the cash flow statement. So high level fundamental of how, I mean, everybody hopefully has looked at when they print their report, how it's broken down. So it starts with our net income and then it takes your operating activities, investing and financing activities. And I don't wanna get into too much of the detail of that piece of it, because I think just the importance of looking at the statement. And again, it's showing you how the cash is flowing in 
and where it's where it's flowing out of your company. Can I just interject one moment there? You bet. So I what I'm hearing is that typically because you 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 said hit the report. So this is usually when for a lot of founders out there, they either have the bookkeeper or they have accounting software. Yes. And they're looking at their accounting software. And I know later on in this part, you're going to let us know some of the software that you recommend. But it's easy to say, okay, hit report. And then they get this report that um, that kind of, you know, it, 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 it summarizes where some of this cash is being spent or not being spent. I guess where I wanted to, to really go with that runaway train is um, the data that you get out is going to be as good as the way that you've set up the system or the way the bookkeeper has set up the system. And that might have been a tangent, but sorry, it took me a long time to get there, but I finally got there. And I just wanted to nail hammer home that that message. So important. I mean, as with any system software process, the data we put into that is the data we're going to get out. So if we think back to our shoebox method of accounting, which many founders start off doing, it's not uncommon. Don't be ashamed. I just encourage you to look at some software that we'll talk about. There is no way from your shoebox that your shoebox can tell you where the cash is physically moving in and out of your company, right? So we need to have that information inside an accounting software so that we can easily with the press of a button because that's what the accounting software can really do for you. With a push of a button, it can spit out your balance sheet, income statement, profit and loss and cash flow statement to, so that you can look at that and right away, when you start looking at these, it'll numbers will jump out at you that you'll say, nope, that's not wrong. There's something, there's something missing, there's something miscoded. So you can start going back to your bookkeeper accountant who's ever doing your data entry so that they can fix those those nuances for you. So I don't know if that I mean that I don't know if that answered your your uh, your your, your question. Yeah, no, I, it, it, and so thank you for uh, entertaining me on that one. I think I was just it was a point that came up that I thought was important to to just you know remind founders that the data that they're going to look at is as good as the way that the the system was set up uh, to start off with. So maybe on one point there, um, going back to when you talked about the income statement and you talked about separating out your revenue streams and then your cost of goods, right? This is definitely on your cash flow. This is this is where I have always seen it. And I don't know if, if you want to elaborate on that at all with respect to understanding those different revenue streams and attaching cost of goods to each one. I think the benefit really, it doesn't necessarily come in on the cash flow statement. It comes into play on the cash flow projections. Okay. So we'll leave that. Okay. Okay. So let's, yeah, let's, let's hold that thought for a minute okay. because the, so when we're just thinking about our cash flow statement, it's truly just showing us the inflow and outflow of cash okay. because so often founders will look at their profit and loss statement, see that net profit of $23,000 and think, great, I have $23,000 in the bank. Again, right. not the case because of, of accrual accounting, right? So we have to factor in all of those items that we haven't paid for. So we look at our accounts payable, all those items that we haven't received money from our customers, our accounts receivable, the inventory that we haven't sold. So there's, there's all these things that go into assessing how your cash is, is being collected and received. And again, the benefit of this statement is you can immediately pinpoint and say, hey, 
there's my receivables keep growing and growing and growing. <laughs> I'm not collecting it. How can I, what do I need to do to talk to my, my customers? I need to then go back to my uh, bookkeeper or accountant and get my accounts receivable listing, which we, we briefly mentioned in the, mm -hmm. in the balance sheet section. But again, it's just giving you those additional tools. So as a founder, you can make sure that the financial, that the cash efficiency of your business is operating in a way that makes sense and that helps you. It's solid. Okay. So, uh, so one thing just to clarify, I guess, on the cash flow statement, your income statement is for a period of time. You can be looking at it monthly. You can be looking at it quarterly. You can be looking at it annually. Our cash flow is typically breaking it down. I would imagine the, the, the standardized version is month over month, right? Kind of based on your, your fiscal. And then you can have summaries for each quarter. Again, that summary is typically your income statement. So yeah. here we are. Let's say that uh, let's say that I'm ready to pull my my cash flow statement. I go to my accounting software. I hit report. Um, it now generates this report for me where I am seeing my my revenue. Hopefully, it's broken down by revenue stream. Seeing my cost of goods. I'm seeing my expenses. Um, what should we be, because I think this is going to move us now into a forecast, because now once we see our, um, once we see the report that has been generated for our actual cash flow, how do we understand what the flags are? What should we be looking for to say, okay, something's not healthy here. Now I need to plan to kind of fix where the gaps are, where the flags are. What should we be looking for? You bet. So it's looking for those. So first of all, we go way down to the bottom line and see the net between our cash inflows and outflows. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I say, okay, and when we're looking at it on that month by month or week by week basis, if we're constantly seeing that our the amount of money that's going out the door versus going in the door is negative, we know immediately there's a problem and we need to stop that bleeding. We need to say, okay, let's go back first, easy place customers are we collecting from our customers inventory are we turning that inventory over or do we have those dusty dollar bills sitting on our shelves not being sold suppliers are we paying our suppliers too quickly again something that founders are i mean it's we're all we're all keen and especially when we're just we just want to get something off our desk this is an easy easy one i'm just going to pay it and get it off my desk again if we're paying out quicker than we're receiving that money this is where founders and businesses can get into so much trouble because they're not they're assessing the cash by either their their bank account which is not a great place to assess it or their profit again profit doesn't equal cash you can sell all of the product all of the services that you want if you aren't collecting that cash from your customers, you are going to go out of business. So important, so important. Okay, so let's say they've gone through this now, they've recognized they have a few challenges. I will put out there, typically what I have experienced in the past, let me know if, if you see this too, is that in my experience, and I know this wasn't your experience, but in my experience, most business owners are not generating a healthy profit. They're generating anywhere from three to 4% if they're lucky, but they're not accounting for all their true expenses, including management salary, right? They've forgotten to pay themselves or they've just been squeaking by with a, a you know, a dividend that will just pay the, pay the mortgage at home. You bet. Um, 
and where they tend to be losing that money. You made, you made so many great points with respect to, are you collecting it? Um, you know, your suppliers, are you paying too quickly? I think that's a huge point. Uh, where I've noticed that they, where they hemorrhage their profit is typically in their cost of goods and in their pricing strategy. So they, they aren't really, they're just doing high level, very surface cost of goods. Oh, I'm selling the lemonade. Oh, there's uh, there's the juice that went in it. There's the cup, there's the napkin, but they're forgetting the merchant fees. They're forgetting the labor that went in it. They're forgetting filtering the water. Um, so now let's, can we shift over and move into the forecasted yes. cash flow? It has a couple of layers or labels as well, doesn't it? There's, it goes by a pro forma, goes by a forecast. I mean, and, and it can, even a budget, right? A budget. So it's all of these things that, and again, when, and, and I want to, I want to touch on the word budget for a minute, because often, and especially as women, when we think about budgets, what do we think? Restrictions, you know, negative, you know, I'm being held back, I'm being judged, whatever that is. So we need to get rid of those mindsets and we need to call our projections and our budgets what they are. We are setting the goals. We start with our personal goals, which lead into our business goals, which leads into our budget. So when we think about budgets, forecast projections, again, all the same thing, but setting us on a roadmap to success, our financial roadmap to how we can achieve the goals that we've initially set out for ourselves. I love it. And if I can, if I can add one thing, it's actually saying the same thing, just a different way. Yep. It's this is your responsibility, founders, to see your business as the CEO, like you are the chief executive officer and you have to figure out what is in the best interest of the business. So this bootstrapping and you doing all five roles and cleaning the toilets while you're out there servicing the client does not fly. If you had a board, the board would say this does not fly, right? This is the value of the board, which you might want to budget for in your cash flow. But um, I love that you mentioned that. Thank you for that reminder, because it's time to stop bootstrapping yes being smart and being efficient with with respect to you know understanding the true costs but so many times the true costs aren't even close to where they need to be right so sorry if that again was another tangent but I love that you brought it up no it's important and, and you bring up that important aspect of management salaries because when we're first starting out as founders that's the last thing that, that we do we, we don't pay ourselves and then we get into this habit and then we grow the successful business and when it comes time to sell you know if that's what your projected goal is you you know you're in it to sell it if your owner's salaries or a reasonable salary for somebody doing the job that you were doing aren't in there the value of your company automatically gets reduced <laughs> because you've been overstating the value of your company because you're missing that key expense the key expense of having the ceo role the cfo role whatever role you're holding is not has not been included for the five ten years that you've been in business and right away I mean, that's the first thing that, that a potential buyer is going to look at. Well, have you included these important salaries? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, and so I think that, you know, when we talk about the forecast, we talk about oftentimes the forecast, and maybe I'm wrong, so let me know. This is something that we have to use a template for, and we have templates, so download the template. It's in the show notes. This typically, we can't rely on software to do our forecast for us, correct? Yeah. Correct. Okay. And, and there's the, what we can rely on our software for is to give us a starting point, right? So yeah. I always encourage founders, start with your last fiscal year-end income statement. It has your revenues, 
your expenses, you know, and then we start looking at things like go back to your goals. You know, what are my goals for the next year? And they have to be smart goals, right? <laughs> they have to be attainable, reasonable. Like you have to be able to, you know, to, to tie back to your goals in order to project into the future. And again, budgets, forecasts, projections, they are just that. They can change over time. They can change in a year. You simply want something that you can hold yourself and your team accountable for. Right. So you're again. So if we start with our income statement and we project it out. Mm -hmm. So where do I want where do I want my company to grow? You know, what are my key levers? Do I want to start, you know, open up a second location? Do I want to hire a CFO to have to do this role? Mm -hmm. All of those items. And with taking that, then you can take it into your cash flow projections. Right. So that you can actually tell and assess based on historical your historical financial information, how your actual cash flow is going to trend. And again, some things are always going to change and that's okay, but at least it gives you that forward-looking projection. So you can say, you know what, in Q2, we're going to run into a cash crunch here because our, you know, our major project isn't starting until Q3. Mm -hmm. What do we need to do? What do we need to do in advance to monitor for that? Going back to, you know, collections, Turn, inventory turnover, supplier payments, you know, do we maybe need to hold off hiring that third individual until Q3 when our project ramps up? Or do we need to go, you know, seek some external financing? And, and I think Shannon Peston, my co-founder at the Finance Cafe, likely spoke about this. The time to go talk to your bank for getting financing is not when you're having cash flow troubles. Yeah. You want to set that conversation up the minute you open your business and say, you know what, I'd like to uh, start with a line of credit, even if it's $10,000 and a credit card for my business. So we're separating those business and personal expenses on a different credit card. And from day one, you set up a relationship with your banker, more importantly, the credit with your banker. So when things might get in a little challenging, you have their support because you have a history with them. And more importantly, when you're looking to expand, you have the financials, historical, you have your budget, and you have your cash flow projections. You could take it to the bank and they'll be thoroughly impressed with the information that you can provide them and be willing to work with you and support you. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think, uh, too, when I think about our, our episode champion, Community Futures, it's such a great place to kind of turn to to make sure all of these numbers are adding up because they're a soft place to land. They're not giving you a hard yes or no. They're giving you, here's what it's going to take to get to yes, right? We've got to tighten all of this up. And Shannon, what I love about what you just mentioned there, sorry, I said Shannon, Shauna, um, is the, the cash flow is the only document that can show us our working capital needs, right? The cash flow forecast, is the only document it'll show us, you know, what months we just don't have enough operating capital to cover the expenses on those months that our sales are expected to be dry or slow, right? And seasonality right. happens in every business. You're going to see ups and downs. So um, thank you for mentioning that. I think that's such an important piece here. And then as you talked about, as Shannon had said, is um, going ahead of time. Don't look for money when, you, when you're desperate for it, right? Get, go to them and, and explain, I've done my cash flow projections and that in itself will be, uh, will be uh, you'll, get, you'll get brownie points for that. Um, last piece on cash flow uh, that I just want to, to speak to here. Um, 
you mentioned when we start talking about uh, when we were talking about budgets and just how we do things at home. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed, um, again, I've got my behavioral hat on behavioral finance hat, is that we tend to do what we can with what we make. And I see that oftentimes in business. It's like, oh, I only have this cash flow coming in. You know, I've got to squeeze these things out. Um, and so, you know, this idea of kind of reverse engineering the numbers, understanding, you know, what do you what do you want your profit to look like? What do you want the overall value of your business to look like? I've always thought of a business as an investment right? Yes. Like this is my investment. I'm building an investment. I'm not building a business. I'm not building a job for myself. And so understanding when I know what I want, what I want this investment to look like, that then informs my net profit goal, which then I can reverse engineer all of those numbers. And then when I understand the net profit with the operating expenses and the cost of goods and a healthy price that's based on value, now I know what my sales need to be. And so yes. it all, and I, so that, that was just this full circle moment that took us right back to the balance sheet and I love it. the value. Oh. I love it because value is so important, right? And we often, as, as founders, we think, okay, well, you know, I often think of it to myself, well, you know, I, I'm not that smart. I have this information, everybody else might know it, but in reality, everybody trains and everybody has skills and experiences in different areas. Right. So the value that I'm providing to another founder, mm -hmm. they are willing to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's areas that that, you know, I'm I'm weak in, So I'm willing to pay for that. So we can't look at the value of what we're worth as to what we'll pay for it for ourselves. It's the value that we're providing to other people. And that's why it's so important that we go into business with relationship transactions as opposed to transactional based uh, right. transactions, because that value comes not only with the service or the product you're providing, but just that that whole full circle relationship that um, that goes into it. So I love it. So maybe if if you're okay, um, hanging out for another couple minutes, can you then explain um, the value that a CFO to go or to hire? Because I know big businesses have them, right? Major corporations have boards, they have CFOs, um, you offer a really uh, a very unique service for founders and one obviously that I believe is of most <laughs> most value there's a lot of significance there if we're not making money in business we're not in business so can you explain your role or the role of a, a, a CFO and in, not interim CFO but a CFO on the go or or a contract CFO for a founder yeah of course so I started my practice um, after working in a public accounting firm. So I was, you know, one of the accountants that founders would bring their year-end information to three, four, five months after their year-end. I would go through the information and present that to them and oftentimes get that blank stare or shock and awe that things were happening or weren't happening. And I quickly realized that there was a disconnect between many founders as to the financial information they were receiving throughout the year. So my goal with Frederick OTG is that I'm taking that sort of bridging the gap between, so we have our founder, 
We have our internal accounting team and we have our external accounting team, right? They're all sort of working towards the same common goal, but not necessarily building that information connection so that everybody's on the same page. So the role of a CFO and, you know, its true form is to really, you know, monitor your cash flow and analyze the business and make sure that, you know, your profitability is all good. You're collecting your cash and, and really overseeing that higher level goal and connecting with the founder and giving them the information they need to mm -hmm. make sound evidence-based business decisions, right? So often founders are going on gut yes. or their bank statement or their top line sales. But we need to be able to bring all of that information together to say, you know what, this is, these are, these are, this is what the financial information is, is telling us, right? The numbers at the end of the day, don't lie, providing you're getting all the information in there correctly. And CFO for the, for the founders that I work with, everyone has a different need, right? So, I mean, it's, it's bridging that gap and building that connection and building the confidence capabilities and connections for these founders to give them the most, the most useful information in a clear and concise way. So again, they can make those evidence-based business decisions to, you know, to achieve their overall goals and their objectives for their company. Oh, so important. Because um, just like you're saying, I see a lot of founders that are abdicating their numbers, they're relying on the accountant, who in most cases is there to do the year end report, right and mitigate taxes, we've got a bookkeeper, who in most cases is there to enter the data. And then we've got this huge gap where it's, you know, between entering in the data and actually making sound decisions. So um, I so value the work that you do. It's so important. And it's nice to know that founders are able to access someone like you, um, if not you yourself, to, to help them make those decisions. And again, just a nice soft place to land, right, where there's no judgment and, and no, um, uh, yeah, the judgment and, and just really being able to guide and direct that founder into sound financial decisions. So important. So, Thank yeah, you. I, Tanya, I just want to, I want to reiterate that point because again, entrepreneurs don't go into business because they're good accountants right. for the most part, right. right? And it is it's it's getting rid of this this taboo topic that as an entrepreneur I need to know you know what my financials are saying and how to read them. We're not trained through school to how to read financial statements, and for women in particular, I mean, it was it's it's ta it was taboo to talk about money. Yeah. So it it's it's getting over this you know societal okay we can't talk about this no let's bring it to the forefront let's really understand and let's 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 call out our again going back to confident humility, you know I don't understand I want to understand please help me understand. And just keep asking the questions of your accountants, of your bookkeeper, if you have that CFO in place. So you know what, I don't understand this. Can you give me an example? You know, help me understand yeah. what this is telling me or why this isn't telling me. And being able as a business owner to say, okay, if I increase my selling price by 5%, I know exactly the trickle effect of that. If I want to open up a second location, I know exactly how that's going to impact my business. Being able to know those answers as a founder is so empowering and so important. Yeah, being able to defend, right? And this is why I love the cash flow template, to be honest with you, because you, yeah, if I increase my price from a dollar to a dollar twenty-five, what does that do to my net profit? <laughs> like it just it does all the work for you. There's yes. really there's there's uh, there's nothing hard about it. So. Thank you. I, I think the other uh, really important piece here that you mentioned is um, getting past the stigma and getting past the fear 
and the courage that it takes to move forward. And if I can just add, um, just take small little baby steps. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't need to climb Everest, you know, in one shot. It's usually just reach out to Shauna as a starting point, right? And, and like, it's just one small little baby step in front of the other that starts to build your confidence over time. The, uh, the thing you have to do is take the first step. That's what you need to do. And that's why we do these episodes. And Shauna, thank you so much for doing this episode with me on basically understanding the fundamentals of these cash flow state or sorry, financial statements in general. Um, Because there's just there's there's a lot of gray around them, I think, for a lot of founders. So um, thank you for clarifying and, and cutting through that confusion. Um, With that being said, I'm just going to remind founders that there are a number of tools in the show notes below. There is the cash flow template. Uh, There's also a tool called the Highways and Hazards in which you can enter in data for your past fiscal years and will convert everything into percentages. And it'll kind of, it lights up what has been working and what has not been working for you. So that's there as well. So don't forget to download those things. Uh, Shauna, are you okay if people reach out to you directly? Can we put your contact information in the in the show notes below? Of course. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And again, just a huge shout out to our episode champions, Community Futures of Manitoba. They've got over 16 offices across the province to help founders in rural parts of the province build their business and nail the numbers. And this episode, all on financial statements, would not have been possible without your support. So thank you, Community Futures. So value what it is that you do. And founders, we value you too. So thank you for being here. Thank you for watching and listening. And we'll see you back in here for the next episode of the Gap Lab. Bye for now.